Welcome to the Broken Vessels Podcast. Jeremiah 18.4 states, And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. This is the Broken Vessels Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Simpkins. This is a podcast where we have discussions on theological themes for the broken to bring encouragement and hope in Christ. And this is another episode of the Broken Vessels Podcast. I'd like to welcome all of you. Very thankful you're here to join me today. We've been talking about the idea of biblical counseling, about the practice of biblical counseling. We have my friend Jeff White back, who is here and has shared so much good stuff with us on the topic of spiritual abuse, of church discipline, all of these things. He's been through a lot, and this guy, y'all know, he knows his stuff. And then we also have Marissa Namir. She is a a great encouragement. If you want to check out her podcast, it's Gospel Gal. Um, You can check that out on YouTube, and I'm not sure if there's other platforms that she's on, but... It's just Gospel Gal. Gospel Gal. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, this woman, she knows a lot about the Heidelberg Catechism. She shares so much good stuff. I'm I'm telling you, you're going to be blessed if you listen to her content. She's also a member of Paramount Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, A guy that we love here at this podcast, John Fonville, is her pastor. I'm sure she's blessed every single Sunday being able to listen and sit under that man's teaching because I listen to him online. He's a blessing. And soon, Lord willing, we're going to have him on to talk about his new book, Hope and Holiness, uh, talking about sexual purity. Marissa is a licensed professional counselor. Okay. It's very important for y'all to understand having somebody like Marissa on this podcast talking about this subject. Not only is she somebody that has been trained in the so-called newthetic or biblical counseling sphere from a fundamentalist perspective, like what I came from, what Jeff came from, many others have come from. It's so important, but she progressed past that. And now she's like literally helping people on a day-to-day basis as a actual licensed professional counselor. Now, I will tell you from my experience, someone that has been through biblical counseling myself, other people that I know that have been through biblical counseling, they would say, oh my goodness, an LPC. Oh, she's liberal. They're using the world's psychology Okay, back it up. (laughs) Let's stop. Let's think about this. There is a thing called common grace. And that's something that many people within the realm of the body of Christ don't understand. And something you probably heard us emphasize over and over again in our last episode is the law gospel distinction. And that's another thing that is not emphasized in evangelicalism. 
it's not something that's emphasized, especially in the biblical counseling movement. In fact, my experience has been that law is usually what is emphasized within the biblical counseling movement. I'm not saying that the gospel is not shared. It is, but it's not emphasized, and that's important. We've talked about the definitions of the biblical counseling movement, about kind of where it came from. Jay Adams, Marissa shared much about Jay Adams, his kind of philosophy and all of that. We also talked about characteristics of this movement. But now I want both Marissa and Jeff to share how has this movement, the biblical counseling movement, how has this brought brokenness to people in what you've seen personally, professionally? How has this brought brokenness to people? And then in your own personal experience, which I know Jeff can speak to this very well, and he shared with us already, but I'm sure he's very much willing to share again. How has this brought brokenness to you personally? Marissa, I'm going to go ahead and start with you, if you would please share, and then we'll have Jeff come in and share afterwards. Okay, I'm going to go to the first part of what you asked, and that is um, how what have I witnessed from people Um, who've experienced this. I'm thinking of one particular example of a woman who was in my area. Are you familiar with Martha Peace? Oh, yes. Uh Well, this woman was a member of her church, and she received some counseling from the pastoral staff and and, um, Martha Peace herself. And this woman was married to an abusive man. He was abusive in every possible way to her for 10 years. 10 years. Uh, It seemed from what she was telling me that each and every time she received counseling from these individuals, the onus was placed on her to make her husband happy. Yeah. So she got to live with abuse, not only in her home, but then in her church as well that she fled to for refuge and help. The end result of that was actually she decided to leave her abusive husband and she was excommunicated from the church. The church was told not to speak to her, not to help her. Not to do receive phone calls from her, nothing. Mm. So that's the kind of the kind of thing that this type of counseling breeds. We've seen this recently with Grace Community Church, John MacArthur. Yeah, um, you know, I've been I've been looking on Twitter, I've been looking on Facebook. There's so many people that are out there ready to defend somebody like John MacArthur, and look. The guy's been in ministry over 50 years. I get that. To a degree, he's been faithful to the scripture. I think in his mind, he's trying as hard as he can to be faithful to Christ, to the gospel in the way that he sees it. Here's the problem. We have a woman. This is very clear from everything that's come out that was abused by Her husband, who was a member on staff at this church, Mm -hmm. abusive to a level that we can't even understand, and then comes out later, and we find out that even, uh, okay, so she left him, which is completely warranted considering what she was going through. She left him. She was excommunicated by Grace Community Church. Mm -hmm. Then it comes out later 
that not only was this guy abusive to her and to her children, but then it comes out later that he was sexually abusive to one of her children, one of her daughters. Can I can I uh, say something here? Sure. In regards to yeah, this is something that I know, and I'm not sure all the biblical counselors are aware of this, but one of the things that we would see on our assessments, I worked for the state of Georgia for. Uh, in the beginning of my career, I was primary case manager for two different counties. My population was severely, persistently mentally ill people. And when I say that, I mean things like schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, mm-hmm. bipolar disorder, major depressive disorder, co-occurring substance abuse disorders. I've seen everything. Mm-hmm. When, when it comes to mental health issues, I've seen it all in front of my eyes. Yeah. You can't, you can't fake this stuff. No. Um, And the thing is, on the assessments that we would do, you discuss symptoms, talk about what the experiences are. Almost every question you could ask, we could indicate this person has experienced this issue by history. Right. By, By history. That means they have experienced it, but they're not experiencing it now. Mm-hmm. The only thing that you cannot mark as by history is sexual <clears throat> misconduct. Right. If a per- in other words, if a person is a sexual abuser, they will always be a sexual abuser. Yeah. I mean, by the grace of God, a person can change. But it is even known among the world that if, if a person has this kind of a characteristic, they're never going to change. That's who they are at their core. Yeah, and the thing that's interesting to me is this, that people that are not believers, people that are not Mm -hmm. in the church, they recognize this, but people in the church want to excuse it and pretend like it's going to go away. Mm -hmm. And look, you and me and Jeff, we are all gospel-centered folks. The gospel changes everything. We get that. We understand that. But it is a problem within the evangelical movement where these kinds of issues are being whitewashed, looked over, pretending like they're not there. And it's not just the sexual stuff, all right? It's mental issues that people are dealing with on a regular basis. I I literally had somebody that was a biblical counselor that told me that that what is the manual that you guys use? It's the, the DSM. DSM. They oh, the tried ICD. yeah. Right. DSM and 5 or whatever it is. They tried to tell me that's all just like psychobabble. Just throw it all out and that blows me away. Like You know what's interesting to me is there's a guy a professor of Biblical counseling at Masters University, I believe it is. His name is Dr. Street. Yeah. He'll reference things like uh, bipolar 2. And what's interesting to me is if you think by, if you think that a mental illness that has a title like this doesn't <clears throat> exist, then why are you referencing it? First of right. all. Second of all, how is the psychobabble to say that somebody has, if you look at the diagnostic criteria in the DSM for bipolar 2, Right. Some some of the characteristics for this are decreased need for sleep, more talkative, experience racing thoughts and ideas, distractibility, increase in goal-directed activity and psychomotor motor agitation, excessive invo- involvement in pre- pleasurable activities, and, and so on. How is that psychobabble? 
It, it's not. They're, ta- they're, ta- <laughs> they're talking about concrete, specific things that individuals with this disorder experience. Yeah. It's a medical diagnostic tool. It is not, it's not crazy. It's not nonsense. It's not crazy talk. It's concrete ways to measure experiences. Right. And, and Jeff, I believe you've shared with us in the past, like somebody that experiences trauma. Okay. Somebody experiences trauma. You've talked about the physical, but you've talked about the emotional and mental about like when somebody punches you in the arm and they leave a knot, but then somebody ripping your arm off. That's a complete different level of trauma. Jeff, speak to how you've seen this movement bring brokenness. And I know you personally, you've shared already with my listeners, but share again how you've seen the brokenness that it's brought, not only personally, but also to people that you've counseled. Well, I mean, when we call something biblical counseling, that sounds great. I mean, as a Christian, I'm all for the Bible. I'm all for counseling. Amen. That's the hook. That's, that's the lure. But I don't mean by that that I think it's okay to use the Bible as a weapon to brutalize people spiritually and emotionally and relationally. That's a whole different ballgame. So there is a sense in which that title, Biblical Counseling, is somewhat misleading. It gives a false idea to people. Oh, we're just going to talk about the Bible. We're just going to encourage one another with Scripture, help one another out. They don't realize that when biblical counselors talk about accountability, what they're talking about is control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to force you. We're going to compel you. Yep. Okay? They don't, they don't understand a lot of this stuff. And so I have seen, again, you can't separate biblical counseling from fundamentalist theology, and whenever you have fundamentalist theology, it's always going to be extremely radical. So therefore, when you come to Dr. Street, who says that an abused woman should stay in her marriage as if she's a missionary trying to reach her husband, that reveals his fundamentalist extreme view of human suffering. To him, she is being persecuted for Jesus. He's suffering for the gospel. See, I look at that, and I don't see that that way at all. I don't see the husband beating his wife up because she's a Christian. I see him beating his wife up because he's an ungodly sinner who is being sinful and hurtful. It's just like if someone breaks into my house in the middle of the night. I don't say, oh, I'm going to suffer, and they're going to kill me and my family and take all of our possessions because they're doing it because I'm a Christian, and I'm suffering for Jesus, therefore I can't retaliate. Yeah. No, I say, that's a person who is a wicked sinner, and I need to take my forty caliber Ruger and blow them away the minute they come through the door. Most of these biblical counselors would tell you otherwise, though. Like, they would tell oh, you, yes. don't, don't retaliate, just passively take it. And Oh, I know. Yeah, that's the problem. We have to find what is the right thing. And we got so many people in the church that are hurting. They have real problems. They are dealing with real trauma, whether it be physical abuse, emotional abuse, mental Mm -hmm. issues that they may have. 
substance abuse disorder substance abuse whatever it may be i mean man dude there are so many people hurting in the body of Christ. And these people are not lost to the gospel. Jesus loves them just as much as he loves the guy that's going to church every Sunday and doing all he, quote unquote, is supposed to do. There's all these people that are hurting. And pastors, counselors, teachers, whatever it may be. Josh, let me share something. Sure, go ahead. So I, for 30 years, I was a promoter, advocate, practitioner of biblical counseling of the nuthetic sort. Yeah. Five years ago in 2018, I was dealing with sin in my own life. It was nothing criminal, nothing illegal, nothing like that. But I felt like I needed to step in and work on my own spiritual life. Yeah. I did that. Within six months, I began to be severely spiritually abused and traumatized. And it left me with PTSD that I still work through. Okay. So that was what God used to change my understanding where I began to realize all these horror stories I've read about biblical counseling and biblical counselors for the last 10 or 15 years. I began to realize that's true. Mm-hmm. That's correct. I, I see it now. Because, see, before I think, well, they're just not submissive enough or they just want to live in sin. They don't really want to repent. You know, all the, all the normal things. But I begin to realize this is not correct. Now, even when I was a practitioner of it, I I never was against the use of psychology or or medicine or drugs mm-hmm. or you know psychotropic drugs when people need it. I was never against any of that or any kind of advice or secular counsel as long as it was consistent and compatible with the Bible and did not directly contradict a fundamental a true fundamental of the faith. An essential of orthodoxy. So I was never against that. One time I had an experience, and I'll just share this with you. Sure. I, I was counseling a, an elementary school teacher who was from a Catholic background. She had been brought to our church by another school teacher she worked with. And the problem was her husband would beat the snot out of her. And he would sit on her in the middle of the floor and pin her down and slap her till snot and blood was running down her nose. Mm -hmm. I was sitting there, and and she told me what happened. And I had had that other teacher with me when I visited this lady at her home. And she said, what should I do when he does that? And I think what I told that lady almost floored the church member that was with me. I said, as soon as you get up, grab the nearest lamp, and do everything you can to decapitate him with it, then run across the street, call the police, and tell them, I fear for my life. Yeah. You do not have to take that kind of abuse. <laughs> if you're in a situation like that, I do not think it's God's will for you to sit there and let them hurt you like that. You need to get out of that situation. Yeah. And nowhere she in the Bible is there one example. She oh, absolutely. Get out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Divide, Absolutely. Divide Get an ex parte. Yeah, ex parte. Restraining order. A restraint. A TPO. Yeah, a restraining order for sure. Yeah. And divorce them. Divorce yeah. Them. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I have always been for that. There's not one example in the Bible of disciplining someone over a marriage, divorce, or remarriage issue. And I know Marissa mentioned she's down there from the Jacksonville, Florida area. Recently, there's been a particular church down there with a very prominent biblical counselor, pastor, pastor who has even disciplined people in his congregation for remarriage. 
for getting mm-hmm. married to another person. Yeah, mm-hmm. That kind of stuff does go on. And instead of the church being a place that protects and shelters the broken and the wounded, we add to it. Yeah. And that, that's what's got to come to an end. And, and really, we'll never bring this kind of spiritual abuse to an end until we begin to expose the people that are doing the abuse. Yeah. That's the biblical pattern for dealing with this. It's what Paul did with Alexander in Second Timothy 4. Alexander was an abuser, and Paul publicly, that's not a case of church discipline. Second Timothy 4 is Paul exposing an abuser and warning, publicly warning the whole church to avoid him and stay away from it because they would get abused. Right. So I think that, you know, until we begin to educate Christians on what real abuse is, so that they understand when we edit, when a lot of what's called biblical counseling is going on, it's really abuse. Until we they understand that and begin to know how to deal with it, it'll continue to, to keep going. Because there are churches that, and, and groups that are obsessed with discipline and, and not just teaching the Bible. I'm all for teaching the Bible. But uh, weaponizing counseling and using it against its people. Yeah. Here's Here's a, a little segue, or a, a little bit of extra information with regard to that, too. What, what some people don't understand, and I've heard from um, people who are biblical counselors, is that there really is no such thing as abuse. Um, abuse is a liberal, uh, secularist mindset, and we really should just not even use the word. Um, because it's overused, and the word itself is abused. So, but what what some of the listeners might like to know and understand is that abuse. When we use this word of abuse, in every situation where this takes place, whether it's financial, sexual, physical, verbal, emotional, whenever there's abuse, there is a pattern of manipulation and control. A pattern of it's not a one-time thing. Anybody can have a bad day. I understand that. Um, But you can have a bad day and lose it. But I'm talking about somebody who who thrives on manipulation and control. And unfortunately, that's what's happening in these churches. Yeah. It's manipulation and control on a spiritual level. The very place where you Uh need to feel secure, safe, comforted, fed. Uh, where you're learning what Christ has accomplished for you and is doing for you even now, that is the place where you just feel most vulnerable. Yeah. And that's unfortunately where so many people are getting hurt even worse than they were before. Yes, definitely. So for both of you, if this biblical counseling movement, as stated, is not actually quote-unquote biblical, what then are the alternatives for those that are hurting, those that are in need of help from both spiritual leaders and mental health professionals? We've shared. I can guarantee you we have listeners, people that are listening to this right now that are going through it. They're struggling. They need help. And they think to themselves, well, I can go to my pastor. But their pastor is not equipped to help them with pastor, what they're dealing with. If their pastor is a good pastor, he's going. what he's going to do is provide them with the best possible pastoral care that he can. Lord willing. Lord and then, willing. And yeah. then he is going to say, I am not equipped 
to provide you with ongoing mental health support. Here is a referral. Right. Unfortunately, we all know that is not always the case. That's not what happens. No. I know. It's sad. Um, one thing that I would say and encourage people to do is if you are going to seek out counseling in the realm that I provide it, We've talked a lot about biblical counselors today, and we painted a not very pretty picture. There are some good ones if you talk to people like uh, Kathy Fonville, like Jeff. Um, they're going to steer you in the right direction. Right. If you're going to seek out licensed counseling, um, there are several kinds of resources that you might find. You could find psychologists. You could find um, licensed clinical social workers, licensed professional counselors, mental health professionals, addictions counselors. Um, but I would encourage you, if you have a mental health issue, if you have severe anxiety, depression, um, you're going through some sort of uh, crisis situation, I would encourage you to seek somebody out who's licensed. Um, yeah. Somebody who has clinical experience in the areas where you have need. Okay, so I'm going to ask the $10 million question. We've said this. Uh, we've said go seek a licensed professional counselor, somebody within the quote-unquote secular realm. What about when you go and you ask someone, maybe your pastor, maybe another spiritual leader, and they tell you, oh, don't seek that out. That is secular. That is worldly psychology. How can we help somebody who is trying to struggle through this issue and they have people steering them in the wrong direction. What can we do to help these people? I would ask them, do they also advise you not to see a medical practitioner when you're sick? Right. I, I would I would just steer them and I would say if that per, if that pastor is persistent in telling you not to get you not to seek out the help that you actually need, then maybe you need to find a different church. Yeah. Because you're being spiritually abused. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, what do you have to say on this? I think that, uh, you know, you're trained in the biblical counseling to not refer and defer, you know, or defer and refer is what they call it. And uh, But I do think a wise pastor needs to know what his limitations are. Mm -hmm. And some pastors have more training than others in certain areas. It's not all you the same. So I, you know, one of the things I always did is I always did make sure you go to your doctor, get a thorough yes. physical. Yeah, I always absolutely. encouraged my counseling. Yeah, I, I absolutely encouraged my counselees to listen to their to their doctors. If their doctor said they needed a medication, take the medication. I would much rather have someone take an antidepressant and not really need it than for them to complete suicide. I mean, that's a, that's a no-brainer to me. Yeah. yeah that's a no-brainer to me. This is how I do it. Every time I have, I do an assessment, I do, I do a mental health assessment the first time I see my clients. And every sure. time I tell them, this is how we draw a line between what is a mental health disorder and what is just normal worry or feeling sad about something. Where we draw this line is to say, does this thing that you're experiencing interfere with your ab ability to function on yeah. a daily basis? 
Are you so depressed right. that you can't get out of bed, that you're not taking a shower, that you're, you can't interact appropriately with the people in your life? On and on and on like this. If it interferes with your ability to function on a daily basis, you need to consult a physician. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your GP, yeah, your family practitioner. So with all of this being said, everything we've talked about when it comes to biblical counseling, secular counseling, all of that, Marissa, I'm going to start with you. What is your ideal for a counseling paradigm that will actually help people? And then Jeff, we'll have you come in and kind of share your thoughts on this as well. And we'll go ahead and wrap this up. So, Marissa, go ahead. Uh, well, I can tell you what my approach is. I hope that answers your question. Definitely. I approach my clients from a very cognitive behavioral perspective. And, of course, I have my own experience, history, personality, my my biblical views, my, my views as a Christian. All of that plays into what I do. And I inform my clients of that when I, when I see them. I say, you know, I'm a Christian. That doesn't mean that I need to pr- push my Christianity on you. Right. But, if, but if, you, if you have that as a resource in your life, then I am glad to work through those things with you as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that we have to be close to as we practice. What we have to do is be careful that we're not pushing a worldview onto our clients. Right. So, but the cognitive behavioral perspective has to do with how you think and how that um, how that influences your behavior. So we, we we all have a thought process how things work the the way that we filter experiences in our lives. Um, you you might have an experience with something and then you move forward twenty years and you're still filtering that similar experiences as, as if it was the same for instance if you have a you had a bad relationship with your father you might um, have difficulty maintaining relationships with men i mean it's it's, we all filter so that's that's kind of how i address it's about thinking and then doing and changing the way you think about things and and then through that uh, deciding what behavioral changes might need to take place as well but I listen to see if my clients um, ever have anything that overlaps with what we would see as a biblical issue and if I can then I try to to work with that and to bring them the comfort of the gospel I just had a, a client today who who went right there with me it was it was a good session but he he had a history of infidelity and I was just saying to him, you've acknowledged your sin, you're being honest about that, and there's forgiveness with Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff, uh, if you could share kind of your idea of what an ideal counseling paradigm would be. Well, I guess that if we're asked, if you're asking me that question, you're talking about for myself, what it would be like for myself. Yeah. Most of the people that come to me the last five years, have been people that have experienced spiritual abuse. Mm-hmm. So that seems to be the focus of my ministry at this point where God has many. So a lot of that is me helping them theologically process and understand what they have gone through and all of that. Now, if I encounter someone that has extreme depression, PTSD and stuff, 
again, I'm going to tell them to go to a physician and to follow his instructions and all of that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't deal as much now with perhaps some of the other things that, that I did before I uh, left the pastorate, but now I deal mainly with spiritual abuse issues. So for me, and again, I distinguish between, going back to what we were talking about earlier, I distinguish between abuse and being persecuted for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If a person's martyred for Christ, that does involve abuse, but not all abuse is persecution. Right. Mm-hmm. So it works one way, but it doesn't work the other. So just because someone is being abused at home, in the family, as a child, a wife, or as a church member, that does not mean that God wants them to stay there and be a part of that. And I'm going to help them get out of that situation. I, I think it's perfectly fine with God for us to evade and avoid as much as possible abusive people in situations, people that are toxic, as we can so that we can protect our own selves spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, sexually, whatever. If I was on a missions trip and I'm in a third world country and a group of people start start, start throwing stones at me because I'm preaching the gospel, that's a whole different ballgame. I may take that suffering and that abuse in that situation. But you know what? It's interesting. There were times whenever it said in the gospel that they were going to pick up stones to throw at Jesus or they're going to throw him off a cliff. And it says that he, he escaped them. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with escaping abuse. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. That's you good. <laughs> so and, and yeah. I'm going to counsel people. I'm going to counsel people from Scripture because I'm not against the Bible and I'm not against counseling. I'm not against the sufficiency of Scripture for those things that Scripture claims to be sufficient about. Mm-hmm. But there are some things that the Scripture is not sufficient for. And the scripture never claims to be sufficient for uh, diagnosing some things that are really physical or medical in nature. Right. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. It's like uh, it's like scripture doesn't tell me it isn't sufficient for rebuilding the engine in my son's truck. It's not sufficient for that. Now it might it might give me some biblical principles to use, like don't blow up and get mad at your son if he accidentally whacks your knuckles with a wrench. You know, uh, it may give me some good principles to go by, uh, but it doesn't tell me step by step how to do that. And the same thing is true. Does the Bible contain some things that have to do with counseling and the soul? Because God's the one that invented the soul. And right. if you want to study the soul, the Bible is a great teacher on what the soul is and what it, what, how it affects us. But does that mean that every possible thing that can be gleaned from common grace has not has already rather been included in Scripture? Not necessarily. A lot of biblical counselors have a very low view of common grace. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, very and, much so. Uh, and I, I and, think and that's real to be gained from that. That's very important because I recently heard somebody I know that is like ACBC certified seeking their doctorate in ACBC. They asked the question about the sufficiency of scripture. And when they asked that question, I knew where that was coming from. We as believers, we believe scripture is sufficient, but it is sufficient in the realm in which it is sufficient spiritually. You can read through and through, through all the reformers in church history that shares with us about common grace. 
the Bible doesn't tell you how to do brain surgery. The Bible does not tell you how to do heart surgery. I'm going to tell you right now, the Bible does not tell you how to deal with bipolar disorder. It just does not. We have to remember that the Bible is sufficient in where it's sufficient. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm so thankful that you joined us for this podcast, um, these past two podcasts. Jeff, I'm so thankful that you and Marissa were able to join us um, and be able to share both of your expertise on the subjects uh, that we've been talking about. You and I have talked about doing this podcast for quite a while, um, wanting to be able to help people to understand and navigate biblical counseling um, and be able to know how to know what to do in a situation where they need counseling and they want to go to their pastor. They want to feel like he is capable to be able to help them. But some people, they just, they got problems that they need more help than a pastor is really able to give them. I know, Jeff, you've dealt with extreme (laughs) spiritual abuse in a biblical counseling way. I have personally, other people I know have personally. And brothers and sisters in Christ, it's okay to look elsewhere other than your pastor. It's okay to look for help. And I understand it's a minefield. It is a minefield out there. It's hard to know where you're going to get help. But ultimately, Christ is your hope. Christ is your help. He will point you in the right direction. It's not going to be perfect. Okay, we live in an unperfect world. We live in a world that is hard. We live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that has twists and turns and bumps and potholes. We've shared this on this podcast. It is hard. And I am not denying that. Jeff, brother, you wouldn't deny that, would you? (laughs) Absolutely not. No. You've felt (laughs) the potholes. You felt the trauma that comes from hurt that even comes from those that supposedly are there to help us. But brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, I'm talking to you right now. You who are sitting here listening to us right now. And you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to find help. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy to find the help you need. It's not. I recognize that. Jeff recognizes that. Marissa recognizes that. It is not easy, especially in this world that we live in, where it's a minefield. We're trying to find help from those that we feel like should be the ones there to help us. Spiritual leaders that we supposedly believe have the capability. They don't always have it. And you have to be willing to think outside the box. You have to be willing to look in other areas. And it's okay to do that. And somebody today needs to hear that. You need to hear it's okay to look outside the box to find help. We have guys like Jeff that are trauma-informed. 
We have people like Marissa that are licensed professional counselors that are gospel centered, but yet they deal with this on a regular basis. And you have people like me that, although I'm not a licensed professional counselor, I've been through it. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to encourage you to find the help you need and I'm going to find it for you or try. (laughs) I will try. Brothers and sisters in Christ, look to Christ, trust Christ, calm down, look to him, trust in him. He is there for you, even in your weakness. And your weakness may be bipolar disorder. It may be abuse that you've gone through. It may be who knows, but Christ is your sufficiency. He is. He's there for you. He loves you. He died for you. He took all of that weakness and he bore it on the cross for you. He died and he rose again for you. That's huge. Is this life easy? No, (laughs) it is hard, but you know what? Neither I nor Jeff nor Marissa, we're never going to point you to Job's counselors. Never. We're going to point you to counselors that are going to point you to our hope, Jesus. Job's counselors would tell you it must be something you did. It must be some flaw in you. Do we have flaws? We certainly do. Do we have sin? We certainly do. But Christ took that sin and he bore it on the cross for you. He bore it on the cross for Jeff. He bore it on the cross for Marissa. He bore it on the cross for all of us. And we have to say, thank you, Lord, for doing that for us. And we have to look for the help that we need through the common grace that God has given us. Don't allow yourself to be manipulated or put into a pigeonhole where it's only one way. That's not the way it works. Jeff, do you have any uh, parting words? Oh, man, those were great words you just shared. Again, I think, you know, I want to make sure people understand. I am, we're not saying that every biblical counselor is being abusive or being unbiblical. Or I, I know some that truly are loving and gracious and all of that. I do think that the movement as a whole needs to begin to police itself, you know, and can, you know, practice some of that confrontation on itself so that they begin to call out the people that are being excessive and extreme and abusive spiritually to people. But I think that in the end, the, the answer to all the problems is the gospel and uh, trusting in Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. That is, that is the greatest information we can share with anybody who's going through a struggle. Definitely. Definitely. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, I just want to thank you so much for joining us for the Broken Vessels podcast today. I thank Jeff, I thank Marissa for uh, joining me today to be able to share this good word with you, to be able to encourage you and help you know there is help out there. There are people out there that are there to help you. Unfortunately, sometimes you have to do the work to find it. And that stinks that you have to try to do that. 
that they're not there to just help you. And I know when you're in a situation where you're dealing with mental illness or trauma or whatever the situation may be, it's very difficult because you you barely feel like you can even function, let alone try to find the help you need. But if you're listening to this podcast right now, there are people here that love you, that want you to find the help that you need, and that are more than willing to help you find it. You can reach out to me. You can reach out to Jeff. You can reach out to Marissa and so many others. Christ loves you. Christ is there for you. Christ died for you. (laughs) And Christ took your sin. Not only that, but he took even the issues you're dealing with now, and he took that to the cross for you. Remember that. Look to Christ. Trust Christ. And as our good friends at Theo say, and calm down, trust him. Look to him. Understand he's there for you. And we, as your brothers and sisters in Christ, we are there for you as well. Thank you for joining the Broken Vessels podcast, and we'll see you next week.